For years, our mail at 8035 South 59th Street here in Lincoln, Nebraska, was delivered by Grumpy Jeff. I called him Grumpy Jeff because you had to work real hard to get Jeff to smile. About the best way to get Jeff to smile would be if my wife had just made cookies and we heard Jeff in his little postal van coming up the street to go out with a napkin and a few cookies as an offering to our postal carrier. Grumpy Jeff would always smile when I brought him cookies. And then, without warning, he didn't give us a note or anything, he retired. I mean, we get this other mail carrier, and I'm like, where's Grumpy Jeff? Where's Grumpy Jeff? Where's Grumpy Jeff? You know, because about the time we'd get home from school with the kids, up the street comes the postal carrier on a regular basis, right? So finally, I asked the other guy, I'm like, um, you've been doing this for a month or two now. Where's Jeff? He says, oh, he retired. I think he's in Florida or something now. I'm like, oh, Grumpy Jeff. And he laughed. He said, you called him Grumpy Jeff? I'm like, yeah. He says, oh, it's true. You should have seen him around the office. (laughs) Well, this postal carrier became known as Surly Steve just because he had that kind of attitude. And even though he laughed the first time I met him on a regular basis, he was kind of as well. And, you know, not the, the kindest fella, but Surly Steve. And then all of a sudden, Surly Steve's gone. I'm like, what are they doing? Do I not get to keep a mailman where I can deliver them cookies and get to tell them about Jesus and my church and stuff like that? And now we got this young guy who always wears his hat backwards and has like a neck beard and everything um, and wears flannel. Um, he's kind of got that thing going on. And his name is Matt. And I think I'm going to call him Amiable Matt because I know it doesn't go with the alliteration. Still get the M sound in there. But he's the friendliest postal carrier I've met, oh, at least the last 14 years, right? But amiable Matt is now our postman. Now, we get excited about the mail at our house, but come on, be honest. It's mostly catalogs and advertisements, advertisements and things like that, isn't it? But this week, when I got the mail, you know, catalog, advertisement, bill, political something or other, And then, ah, an invitation, a fancy invitation, nice stationery, ooh. And I looked on the back, and I thought, I think I know who this is from. And, you know, even before I got in the house, ripped it open with my thumb even, and pulled it out and went, oh, isn't that great? Nolan and Taylor are getting married, and we got an invitation to their wedding that's in May, four months from now. And here was this beautiful invitation. As I'm walking in the house, trying not to slip on the ice, I'm looking at the invitation and imagining what their wedding ceremony is going to be like, because I get to be the pastor, so I get to have part of that, right? And imagining uh, what it'll be like there in Virginia. It won't be cold like it is in Nebraska. I won't be slipping on ice, at least you hope not, in May in Uh, Virginia. And that invitation took me to a whole different place than all the regular mail that Grumpy Jeff and Surly Steve and Amiable Matt generally deliver to my house. There's something about invitations. And our topic today in our Next Step sermon series is about inviting others. And specifically for us, we're talking about inviting others to consider Jesus Inviting others to consider a personal, saving relationship with Jesus Christ to be their Savior and Lord. 
inviting others into a relationship with us that we might earn the right or earn the privilege uh, to, to be seen as trustworthy where we can share the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Inviting others to our church because, hey, I've never been to a Baptist church before. Are you sure you guys don't like handle snakes or stuff like that? No, no, we're not that kind of Baptist. But inviting them to consider God's love in a personal way, period. And that all these things we do and all these types of invitations is because we love others because God first loved us. And he says that everyone will know we are believers because of our love for one another. And so that's where we get with inviting others. We invite them to consider Jesus. Um, Our scripture memory verse for the month, we'll put that on the screen now, is Ephesians 2, 4 and 5. And it talks to us about God's love. And why we, as those who've accepted that invitation to trust Jesus as our Savior, should invite others to consider it as well. Let's say it together. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5. You don't know how happy it makes me to hear you say words like that. Let's pray together. God, our Father, it's a privilege to be here to worship today, to know that you are the God of the whole universe, and because of your great love for us, even when we were dead and everything we would ever do, our transgressions and sin, and separated from you because you can have nothing to do with sin because you are perfect and holy and sinless. You loved us enough to make a way, and you sent your one and only Son, Jesus, to die for us. And it's by His grace we are saved. So God, we come before you today as your people, and we come before you today asking that you'd speak to us through your words, and that as those of us here that are believers in Jesus and have been saved, might be motivated just a little more, maybe even a whole lot more than we were before we walked in this place to consider inviting others to think about a love relationship with Jesus as well. So, Father, speak to us now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Next steps. Did anybody notice they're on the wall in the hallway this morning? Maybe you came in the south door, you didn't see it. Or maybe you're just so used to walking in and saying, I'm fine, how are you? I'm fine, how are you? That you forgot to notice there's seven new poster frame things on the wall there with our next steps. And our next steps are about intentionality. Our next steps are about clearly calling us to obedience. Clearly calling us to obedience, to do the next right thing, to take the next right step. Well, what difference does it make, you might ask? Let's walk through the next steps real quick. We'll put those up on the screen for you one at a time. And the first one of those next steps is follow Jesus. And that literally means trust Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Commit your life to become a Christ follower. Because it's not just about getting saved so that you will go to heaven when you die. It is about a lifestyle in which you are a disciple, a student, a learner, an apprentice, a follower of Jesus. And so following Jesus is day by day. And so, even though it starts with one decision to commit your life to follow Him, to ask Him to save you from your sins and say that you're 
you're going to trust him as your Savior and Lord, it's a lifestyle. So that one has a bit of a double entendre. The next one, however, is baptize or get baptized. That was last week. We talked about getting baptized. We invited people to get baptized if they've never been baptized a believer. And if you're out here today and you're like, I missed last week, I missed this week, can I get baptized soon? Yes, please, talk to me. Okay, we can baptize again uh, whenever you are ready. We'd love to have you take the step of obedience and trust in Jesus and demonstrate that by getting baptized. The third step is invite others. Now, you could put this step in any different order, but as we're going to see demonstrated in our scripture today, um, well, I'll explain that in a minute. The fourth step is belong together. Belong together. Now, what we mean by that one is what you see in the New Testament, that there were no Lone Ranger Christians, that every Christ follower in the New Testament, although they do things on their own, they are in a community with other Christ followers in which they are encouraged, in which they are edified, in which they are educated, informed, held accountable. They live together, they work together, they minister together, they serve together in communities. Those were house churches in the New Testament. And a church the size of ours might actually be, you know, 10 or 20 house churches of groups of families and their oikos or other people around them. So for us, not only are we saying we want you to belong together as members of the church called Southview, but we want you to belong in Sunday school groups, in small groups, and be in relationship with others close enough that they know what's really going on in your life. Belong together. We are better together as believers in Jesus. So your fifth point there is begin giving. The Bible's quite clear from Old Testament to New Testament that there is a tithe and that there are offerings and that we, even as New Testament believers in Jesus, are called to give and we should give of our time, talents, and our treasures. Maybe you haven't done that yet. Maybe you should begin and keep on going. The sixth step is start serving. You are created as the only you there is in the whole world. And you are uniquely shaped, your spiritual gifts, your heart, your abilities, your personality, your experience. Those things make you unique to serve Jesus in His church, in His kingdom outside the church, wherever He calls you, in a way that no one else can do. God's created you to serve Him uniquely. He's created you to serve Him for your life. On the 16th of February, when we get to that Start Serving Sunday, we're going to have a challenge for you to take some next steps to begin serving if you're not already serving in or through our church and shape surveys if you haven't done those already as well. The final next step that we've outlined is disciple others. Disciple. That looks a lot like the word discipline. Yeah, it does. Because although the Christian life is not earned by work, the Christian life does take effort And it takes some disciplines that you practice, reading your Bible, prayer, meditation, even fasting, memorization, serving others. There are all kinds of spiritual disciplines we might practice, but disciple others means that you would help others learn what you've already learned. That you, although you have somebody that acts like a Paul who has mentored you, and you may be a Timothy, the protege, are also a Paul, and you have a Timothy, a protege, and that you walk through life as a believer in Jesus, leading others in the right direction. So the next steps, again, are about intentional, clearly calling us to obedience. But today, 
when we focus on this idea of inviting others, we've got three examples from when folks met Jesus and uh, how they responded. Actually, two examples of when folks met Jesus and one overarching. And that first one is in Luke chapter 15. So you've been waiting for me to get there. I know we had a little longer introduction that was uh, on purpose. But Luke chapter 15, if you're not there already, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. In Luke chapter 15, we have what we might call the lost parables. Jesus tells a trio of parables, the lost parables. And parables are earthly stories with a heavenly meaning. They're something we know that teaches us about something we may not know. There's something from our world that teaches us about the kingdom of heaven that is in our world. And the purpose of these three parables are to teach us the incredible value that God places on people who are lost. Now, you might take exception with that. You might say, well, it's kind of terrible to say that people are lost. How, how are they lost? I mean, our world gets offended by things like this, right? Keep in mind, it's Jesus that used this term. Look in Luke chapter 19, the interaction with Zacchaeus. Jesus says of himself, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. And in this very passage of Scripture, Luke chapter 15, Jesus talks about a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. Lost means separated eternally, not in a relationship with God through Jesus. Lost means dying and going to hell, suffering eternal punishment for your sin. It's a terrible thing to be lost. Do you remember the feeling when you were lost as a child? Not as an adult when you just get frustrated and drive faster if you're a man, right? I'm talking about as a child. Were you ever lost from your parents somewhere? Like, scary. We went to the State Fair of Texas one time when I was a kid, and we're in Dallas, Texas, and there's thousands of people, and it's nighttime, and we're going through a crowd trying to make our way back to our car, and I realize I've lost the hands of my parent, and although my parents, and although my dad's six foot tall, I can't see him or anybody anywhere. These were the days before you, you know, had education about going to find an adult like a police officer or somebody that could help you. And I just started to freak out. I thought, I'm going to die here. There's some scary people here. This is like the armpit of Dallas where the fair is. And even though the fair is nice, there's weird smells, there's crazy people. The best thing I could think of doing was climbing on a little wall where I could see higher and do a Zacchaeus thing. And as I climbed up there, there I saw my dad coming back through the crowd with a panicked look on his face as well. He saw me, and I knew I was found. Lost is not any place any of us want to be. But look at the stories that Jesus tells. The first one there, and I'm not going to read every verse in the passage of Scripture, he talks about the lost sheep. And Jesus says in verse 3, he tells him a parable. Suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go find the lost sheep, go in after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. Now, that's pretty cool. I accidentally put verse 5 on your outline. That should be verse 6 when he says, Rejoice with me. But look at verse 7 in your Bible. He says, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more 
rejoicing. You got that? More rejoicing in heaven. This is how you know this is a parable. It says it's a parable, but Jesus is applying it to heaven. More rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Jesus is making a huge point. God loves everyone. And he sent his son Jesus to die for everyone. And he rejoices and all heaven rejoices when one sinner comes to faith in Christ. When one person who is lost is found and restored to a relationship with Christ. So your first sub point there is that there is rejoicing when the lost is found. Rejoicing when the lost is found. Look at what it says there in verse 9. She has ten coins, loses a coin, it's dark inside her house. She lights a lamp and she sweeps. Why? So when she swept, it might move the coin over her hard floor and she would hear the sound of it. And verse 9, and when she finds it, she calls her friend and her neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. Jesus says again in verse 10, I tell you in the same way, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Rejoicing when the lost is found. Your next point there says that more lost equals more found. It's a simple equation. Your next point there is more lost equals more found. In other words, the more lost people you are in relationship with, the more opportunity you have to share the gospel with them. The more lost people we invite to church, the more opportunity they have to hear the gospel here. The more lost, the more will be found. It's a simple funnel, friends. So that all of us need to be in the business of inviting people into relationship with us, inviting people to consider a relationship with Jesus, inviting people to come to church so that they might hear the gospel and they might be found. Because what happens? Rejoicing when the lost is found. The last parable there is the longest one. The parable of the lost son. You know we call it the parable of the prodigal son. You've heard me say before from this pulpit, it's not so much a story about the son's sin as it is the father's love. Because it's about the father who mourned his son who left, who mourned his son who spent all his money in riotous living, but welcomed him back as if he had been dead and was alive again. And because he was lost and now he was found. What does the father say in verse 23? He says, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. Verse 24, for the son of mine was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. God loves the lost and he calls us to love the lost. And so we need to ask a question. And that's who should I invite? Who should I invite? Who is it in your life that you need to give a personal invitation to? You don't say, hey, I'm inviting you to be my friend. That would be awkward, okay? I mean, some of you maybe are awkward and you can get away with that. The rest of us people would think, that guy's a weirdo. I'm not going to be his friend. If anything else, I'm going to talk to other people about him because he's a weirdo. Don't do that, okay? But you know how it goes, how you strike up a friendship with somebody and how the friendship grows and how you get to spend time with one another and whether it's somebody at work or whether it's somebody in your neighborhood or whether it's a family member that you know is lost but you need to seek to intentionally spend more time with them, who should you invite? Then who should you invite out of those people to consider a personal relationship with Jesus? Well, everybody, yes. But how do you go about that? Talking about your relationship with Jesus 
because he's real to you, that you might be real with them and inviting them to church. So we've got an application for you today. Every one of our next steps, we want to give you something to do. And so here's your something to do. I'll remind you at the end of worship service today, too. And this is your something to do. On the bulletin board across from the water fountain, yes, we really like that bulletin board right now. You can sign up for chili cook-off or cinnamon rolls. And there's those little stickers, you know, that say, hello, my name is, like you get when you go somewhere new. And those little stickers are there with a bunch of markers. And here's your invitation today from me. If you know somebody that you need to invite in a relationship with you, or you need to invite to consider Jesus, or you need to invite to our church, I want you, before you leave this building today, to go right there across from the water fountains, grab the marker choice of your color of your choice, and write that person's name on that sticker, and stick that sticker on that bulletin board right under the name tag there in that colored panel. Because here's what it says. This is who I'm going to invite, and this is who you can pray for. So that every time, for as long as that's up there, the rest of us, when we walk by it, going to get a drink, going to the bathroom, or going back that back hallway, see those names there in your handwriting in the different colors, and we remember, hey, there's that gal, Sandy. I need to pray for her. I don't know who Sandy is, but I'm going to pray that she comes to faith in Christ, and she comes to Southview. Hey, there's that guy, Bob. I'm going to pray for him. I need to pray that he comes to faith in Christ and comes to Southview. And for weeks and months, we can pray. We want to invite you to consider who you're going to invite. Write their name down right now. And again, before the day is over today, go there and do that. I'll remind you again later. We've got to move on to our next point. Our next point comes in John chapter 1. So what we establish there at first is we're kind of building our case for inviting others is the fact that God loves lost people. And he had Jesus tell us a parable about that. But John chapter 1, the prologue begins, verses 1 through 18. Just amazing poetic look at who Jesus is. But it gets practical really quick. We're in John chapter 1, verse 35. You see this story begin to unfold. The next day, John, John the Baptist, was there with two of his disciples. So these guys that are about to be named were followers of John the Baptist. And when John the Baptist sees Jesus passing by, what's he say there in verse 36? Look, the Lamb of God. When his two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. John the Baptist had come and he said, I am not the Messiah. I'm coming to pave the way for the Messiah and point you to him. And now he's literally pointing two of his disciples to Jesus. And so then in verse 37, when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. That means they literally walked after him to hang out with him, right? Turning around, Jesus saw them following him and said, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, where are you staying? Which they wanted to say, like, where are you hanging out? Can we come visit with you and sit with you? And Jesus said, come, and you will see. So they hung out with Jesus all day. Verse 40, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, and one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus, the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah. That is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Your point there is the first disciples. The first disciples. And these first disciples, that next point, invited others right after finding Jesus. They invited others right after following Jesus. Look at the next one. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was... uh, um, 
from the town of Bethsaida, Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote. Jesus was the Messiah, immediately invited others to consider Jesus that same way. They invited others without delay. They became convinced of who he was. They went purposely and found him. Your next point there is that they spoke directly when inviting others. The scripture is quite clear about that. It's in the emphatic in the Greek tense that they went right away, that there was no delay. There was no hesitation. This was an urgent message for them to get out to the people that they love the most, their brothers, to say, we found the Messiah. You need to come follow him like we're following him. Yet somehow we lose that passion, don't we? We just come to church because that's what we do. We're nice people because that's who we are. But we forget the fact that those other mostly nice people that we know are lost without a saving relationship with Jesus. And if they were to die today, they'd spend eternity in hell. When if we had opened our mouths and if we had invited them to consider a personal relationship with Jesus, they would be saved as well. We've got to begin to be in the habit of speaking directly to others. Not directly in a, hey, you're going to hell, confrontational way. That probably might not work with everybody. Some people it might. But kindly inviting them to consider Jesus. That begs the question for you there. And that is, how should I speak to others? Well, it depends on the others, right? Who they are, what their relationship is with you. Some people you might have to be confrontational with. Other people you're going to have to take time. You're going to have to speak to them for weeks, for months, even for years or decades. And to share the hope that you have in Jesus and share truth with them. That they might take one step, then another step, then another step to become closer to Jesus. Before they finally will say, yes, I trust him. So we've got one more passage of scripture to consider. That's about the Samaritan woman in John 4. The Samaritan woman in John 4, if you'd turn there. We tried to build the case that there are lots of lost folks and God sent Jesus to die to save lost folks from their sins and give them the gift of eternal life like most of us here have. We tried to build the case that the first disciples, as soon as they knew who Jesus was, that he was the Messiah, they were going to follow him and they were going to invite others to follow him along with them. Now we come on a story of a lady with a not-so-stellar past, a lady that would have been an outcast in her community. And we're talking about inviting others, so guess what she did? Jesus is going through Samaria, a place where Jewish people like him might not have normally gone. He sits down at a well because he's hot and he's thirsty to get a drink. And this lady comes up in the middle of the day. Most of the other ladies would have already been there. She was there later for more than one reason, maybe. And he says to her in John 4, 7, will you give me a drink? Simple question. Verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? John inserts the parenthetical comment for Jews to not associate with Samaritans, just in case we don't know. But Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. This enters in this conversation that at first she thinks is purely about physical water. But Jesus said, 
No, it was living water. And I'm talking about spiritually, and I'm talking about your eternal soul. And he says things to her that blow her away to the point where she's like, whoa, I have got to go back to town and tell others about this guy that I met. Look at verse 29. Well, verse 28 says, Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior? Your point there is she invited others to come and see. She invited others to come and see. Come see this man. She believed and she had this question in her mind that she asked as a rhetorical question, could this be the Messiah? I think he is. I'm inviting you to come see with me because she saw Jesus as real. She invited others to see him as real. My invitation to you, friends, is to go and tell. Go and tell others that they might come and see. Go and tell others about Jesus, that they might come see by having a relationship with you, that they might come see by studying the Bible themselves, that they might come see by joining us at church where they're going to hear the gospel every week. Go and tell that they might come and see. The lost need to be found. We have the message to save them. And look at what happened in that story. Verse 42. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Your next point there says they heard Jesus for themselves. It's one step for us to invite people into a personal relationship with us. They can know us and begin to trust us. It's another step when we ask them to consider a personal relationship with Jesus as the Savior of the world, not just a teacher that's in the Bible and some historical character that we're not so sure about, but that the things he said about himself, that the things the Bible says about him, that the things we as Christians say about him are all true. And to take that faith step, when they hear Jesus for themselves, they will believe. And that's where we've got to pray for folks that the Holy Spirit would break through everything in their mind that's holding them back and all the questions they have. And when they hear Jesus for themselves, they would trust Him for themselves. And they would bow their will. And they would commit their life to follow Him as their personal Savior and Lord forever. Just like the Samaritan woman, we've got to tell people, come and see that they might hear for themselves. So your question to ask is, what can I say to others? When I consider that God loves the lost, that disciples invite people into relationship with Jesus, and that even those with questions like the Samaritan woman, she didn't have it all figured out. She thought he might be. She invited others to come see Jesus for themselves. What can I say to others? Hopefully you have that person in your mind still and you're thinking through in a practical way the type of things you can do. Being prayerful about who you need to talk to and how you need to invite them and what type of relationship with you, with Jesus, even to church. When you would do that. All these things because, friends, our world is lost and they're going to hell without Jesus unless we tell them, unless we invite them. Come and see. 
That's sobering. Our next step to invite others could be life-changing if we'll only open our mouths and do it. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we're humbled by the message today. It's not easy to hear. Though we know it's the truth, a reality, that without Christ, anybody, even though God loves them, if they haven't trusted Jesus as their personal Savior and Lord, they're destined to eternity apart from Him in hell. So God, our Father, we pray and we ask that you would give us the courage just to invite people into a relationship with us. The courage to invite people to consider who Jesus is according to the Bible. The courage to invite people to church and that they would have been prepared by your Holy Spirit. They'd say, yes, yes, yes. And that others would come to faith in Christ because we have invited them. Thank you, God, for your love for us. And thank you that the vast majority of people hearing my voice right now are saved. And they have trusted Jesus as their personal Savior and Lord. But we pray, God, if there's any single person here who needs to trust Jesus as their Savior and Lord, that they'd confess their sins today and believe in him as your son. And they'd let us know so we can celebrate with them. And God, we pray for all the relationships you've called us into that we might be bold and witnessing to others. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.